0: Hey Filmcast listeners, what you're about to hear is an episode of the Filmcast After Dark featuring a very special guest. Typically, these episodes are available exclusively to members at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, but given that this particular guest has been appearing on this podcast for a very long time, we thought we'd put it on the main feed for old time's sake. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you will consider becoming a patron at patreon.com/slash filmpodcast. Patrons at patreon.com slash film are who allow us to continue doing this podcast and making episodes like the one that you are about to hear. Check out patreon.com slash film podcast, support the film cast, and help to keep us going. Without further ado, here's the episode.
1: Sorry, wow. go ahead. Sorry, oh. you, had you started? I apologize. Yeah, no, go I ahead, just, I
0: literally, that was when yeah. it was supposed to start right at that moment. Oh, it's going to go where right Where did that then. come from? Sorry, I have no, no I idea. That's bizarre. That. Where sorry, did come David. From? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh. I want to be respectful. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast After Dark. Uh, <laughs> <The> ap- <laughs> sorry, quiet in the back of the class. <laughs> quiet in the back of the class. This is the After Show, where we talk about a variety of random topics. Uh, I'm here. I'm David Chen. I'm joined by Devinder Hardaway and Jeff Kanata. Um, today... We have a very special treat for you. It's time for a spoiler-filled discussion of the new Netflix sensation, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. We're going to talk about the entire film, including its ending, so don't listen unless you want to hear the whole thing. As you can already tell, joining us today for a spoiler-filled discussion of the movie.
1: Keep talking. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. I was just
0: trying to determine what you were playing. Um, <laughs> Ryan Johnson is the writer-director of films such as Brick, The Brothers Bloom, Looper, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and Knives Out. He has a new detective show coming out on Peacock called Poker Face. Yeah. And his newest film, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, is streaming right now on Netflix. Ryan Johnson, welcome <laughs> back to the film, cast.
1: <laughs> oh, this is this is so – this makes me so happy.
0: Mm, this is great. Mm. Uh, welcome back, Ryan. It's so great to have you. You know, before we begin, uh, Ryan, and we're going to give spoilers away for Glass Onion, I just have to say, it's really upsetting to see a cruel billionaire who is revealed to not be that smart, try yeah. to control what everyone is saying, mm-hmm. but to do so in a really catastrophic and self-defeating way. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, <laughs> let's not talk about Twitter anymore. Let's get to the <laughs> movie. <laughs> <Put your pump. laughs> Um, Ryan, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, nice how, for having how, me. how how are you doing? Congrats on the movie. How, Thank how are you, you feeling
1: these days? I'm good. I'm really good, man. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. It's been. I mean, this is yeah. It's it's crazy. I don't know. This is the first time I've had like obviously a movie come out. You know, we had like a week in theaters, but then when it hit Netflix, experiencing just like I don't know so many friends and like family members and friends of family members just like texting me realizing exactly how many people (laughs) have netflix and watch it it's been really 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 cool it's been pretty awesome wonderful wonderful probably have a
2: lot less time to pick up your banjo these days this Mm. is i'm
1: so out of practice i'm trying to even remember i apologize yeah go ahead (laughs) no worries no need to
0: apologize no need to apologize well let's start with a very basic question Um, with Knives Out, you showed you could reinvent the murder mystery for the modern era. Um, And I'm curious, you could have taken Benoit Blanc on many different kinds of adventures. I know this movie was inspired by Last of Sheila, which is a fun murder mystery directed by Herbert Rose. Why did you choose this particular storyline for Glass Onion?
1: Well, um, well, I mean, the starting point was kind of, the starting point was kind of just trying to figure out a whole different thing than the first one, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, which to me comes back to Agatha Christie. It's doing what she did with her books where every single one was like a wildly different swing. So, so that, I mean, that kind of, and that kind of was the starting point for the setting. Something as basic as that just like, okay, it's the Browns and oranges of new England in the fall. So let's do the blue and yellows of Greece in the summer with this one. Mm. Let's give a big obvious flag, but then extends beyond that to, I mean, tonally this one ended up being kind of like bigger and more comedic, I guess, than the last one. And, uh, And also just figuring out, I don't know, figuring out a story thing. I mean, the the first thing I started with, the first kind of, okay, I've got something here thing was the structure, was um, the notion of the fugue structure. And can you get away with, I had never really seen before, kind of like telling the story over the first half Doing a reset in the middle and then telling that exact same chunk of story from a different perspective, and can you do that and keep an audience engaged? That was actually kind of the okay, this is very different than the first one, whole different gambit and I, I it's a little scary because I'm not sure if I can actually pull it off and and that was kind of the starting point I
0: guess. yeah uh, it's great that you brought up the fugue structure um, you know it's one thing to structure your movie like a fugue. it's another thing to. Uh, have one of the greatest musicians that has ever existed
1: explain what a fugue is in the movie, <laughs> um, and he re- he rewrote me. He was he was so <laughs> sweet. He was yes. on set, and he came up and he was very like, "Could I make a couple little tweaks to the?" I'm like, "Yo <laughs> yes. yo, wow. yo, yo ma, yes. are you asking me if you can?" <laughs> Put in your own words, the fugue explanation. The answer is Whoa. yes. <laughs> it sounds
0: like quite a diva, I'm going to be honest. Just Honestly,
1: pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. my God. Seriously? He had his green M&Ms in his trailer and yeah. just <laughs> a footbath of Perrier in between every take. It was just...
0: But that uh, is what we call a flex. And it, it was obviously a delight to see yo Yoma in, in the movie. Um, it's
2: a, it, it, talking about that early section of the movie, it's so yeah. cool what you're, what you're doing there. Because obviously, you know, we, I think you know that we're assuming that this thing that we've seen a thousand times which is the guy makes his own murder mystery party and then he gets murdered for real and then right. we have to figure it out. So we're like clocking clues yes. and suspects <laughs> for a murder that doesn't even happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 so fun. And then and then the murder that does happen of of Duke, yeah, is we're still like, "No, but the person who murdered him did it by accident." So we're still <laughs> trying to clock the wrong clues. <laughs> so I feel like it's it's really rewarding uh, multiple viewings. Is that, is that something you're That's conscious it. of as you're doing is like on a second viewing they're gonna get so much more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that makes me happy to hear you say that. In a way, I feel like the movie's almost designed more to be watched a second time than <laughs> no. the first time yeah. kind of and we play um we play really, really fair in that first half. That's the other thing. It was a little scary actually because so much of I mean, not just the glass switching, but there's so much stuff in there. I mean, in terms of when Miles steals Duke's gun, it's it, he just does it. Birdie is kind of in front of him, but you can totally see him pull it out and just stick it in the back of his pants. When they're talking about where's Duke's phone, that's ex- on the shot where he's saying, where, you know, it was just here. I don't see it. Miles is like hopping up the couch and turning, and the black phone is just sticking out of his back pocket. Like There's wow. lots of stuff where it's like, mm. okay, how fair can we... And, but we're just like, no, this is it. Let's just... uh I don't know. It was important to me that if people go back a second time and pay attention that they can see that, you know, all that stuff is there. I, I, mm-hmm. I dig that. But, kind of stuff. And, and you're doing something even more layered in that first section because you're also
2: having to plant clues that legitimately add up to Benoit Blanc's <laughs> solving of the fake murder mystery. Right. Mm-hmm. Which you don't even get. You don't even like get any credit for because he just, <laughs> just blurts it all out and we as yeah. the audience, you know what I mean? It's you still have to do all the work, but you're not you kinda yeah. blow yeah. your own <laughs> <laughs> you know, your own satisfaction yeah. there. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Well that yeah. kinda yeah, that was another early idea it was first of all the idea to have like the denouement scene where he lays it all out to have one of those like in the first acts and to and to also just I don't know, the the notion of the expectation of that this mystery being kind of the way the table is set and to kind of flush that out immediately so that all bets are off the table. um, That seems incredibly fun to me. And just also seemed like a great Blanc moment, you know? Mm -hmm. It's so so uh, great. Yeah. I I think
3: like the one thing I clocked the second time around too is like Benoit Blanc is, is like being a bit of a fanboy, Like he's being a little uncharacteristic. And the first time I saw it, I was like, that's weird. Are we, are we just like, it's almost like we've dumbed down the character a little bit, but upon second view, you're like, oh, yes, it's all part of the game,
1: it's which kind is of brilliant. Yeah, it was a little scary. Thanks. it was a little scary. <laughs> yeah, because Daniel really leaned into that. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, honestly, actually, the, so the very first scene where he's in the bathtub, um, that was a reshoot. Actually, we reshot that like we had a different introduction scene for Blanc. Um, it was still him on the Zoom, but he was just in his office and the scene played a little differently. And we reshot it because Blanc is, is playing a part in that first half. And I, Daniel and I like watching through the movie realized we needed a scene where you see his seriousness for a moment before we launch into that. Mm. And, and so, um, so that scene was kind of like a little redo, but yeah, it's, it's, that was another thing. It was just a little hold your breath and do it kind of scary, I guess.
2: I I have a question about that bathtub scene because um, you, I mean, he's playing among us. Yeah, with some very famous people, uh, and then he references some very specific cool gamer like code names like yeah. are these games quiplash. that you have played do you do you like them i mean these are very gamer
1: games i played yeah. all that stuff during the during mm. the when we went during lockdown you know and that's when i was writing this i was writing this in 2020 during lockdown and so yeah. yeah and and uh yeah and was, i think my friend craig mason was always like setting up quiplash like our code names mm. games and just I don't know. My wife Karina and I quickly figured out we didn't actually really enjoy <laughs> Zoom gaming, so we mm. started saying no to a lot of stuff. You know, I, see, th- I what- see your plan, Ryan. By the way, like you All were right. like, I want to be
3: on an island. That was <laughs> honestly you're it. You're it was. It it. out of here. I was literally <laughs> yeah. like, fade in, Greek yes.
1: Island. Let's yeah. <laughs> <see."> <laughs> Can I say I, I I've really enjoyed um, how quiet David Chen has has been. Over the oh, course that's the plan. Actually, entire, just, is, never was, given him an opening. You're, maybe you're the, one the one. best interview you've ever done with me, David. This feels. <laughs> I don't know. There's just an intelligence to it that like I don't know is <laughs> usually lacking in you. our conversation So mm-hmm. thank you, <sighs> thank, thank you, Ryan. know, I feel like you've matured since we last talked.
0: One of the things. Um, so on that note, you talk about lockdown. One of the things I really appreciated about this movie was that it acknowledged that COVID was a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, movies take different approaches. Some movies like it never existed. Some movies are all about it. Um, in fact, it's really cool that you use people's masks to say something about them in that scene. Now, I, I had a I had a question in mind where I was like, I watched that scene and I was like, hmm, I wonder like why Ryan decided to keep this scene. In the movie like he could have decided to reshoot it had no one wear masks or, or whatever then i watched your vanity fair uh breakdown of that scene where you basically showed that like hundreds of hours went into like planning that scene <laughs> i'm like oh I, I think i get why but i i am curious if it ever crossed your mind like should we just like take the mask thing out of the movie or anything
1: like that yeah it was i mean especially when i was writing it because it, i was writing it in the middle of you know it all happening and and we didn't know i we, none of us kind of knew it was felt really it's you got to cast your mind back a few years and remember how scary it felt in that moment um we just didn't know how the thing was going to go and so um it was a big kind of okay let's do that you know to to type, type thing and i don't know i i guess for me it was um just because the marching orders of these movies even with the first one are to set them in the present moment and mm. um and so I, I guess I thought, well, if that's actually what we're doing with these, <laughs> this is the big thing yeah. that all of us are actually going through. And then it was a matter of figuring out tonally and also story-wise um, how to integrated in so that it served a purpose but that it was light and and it we got out of it very quickly because Mm -hmm. it is such a serious thing and these are very deeply unserious movies so (laughs) um taking taking a light touch with it i think was was really important canonically what do
0: you think was in ethan Hawke's inoculation gun Ryan Johnson, do you, have a, do you have something in your head cannon for that? Superuse bleach, I, I, right? It's bleach. It's probably bleach. It's so a horse tranquilizer, probably.
1: I guarantee none of those people were actually safe from COVID on the
3: island. <laughs> <Olympics>. Oh wow!
1: <laughs> that that's a, that should have been the end credit tag, like Gang home and gang a positive test and just God shh, damn it. Oh shit! God
3: it. <laughs> um, that actually kind of rang true though, because I remember when this all started. I have friends at Google and other tech companies who got these like crazy high tech at-home RNA tests. Oh, yeah. And a lot of us were like, that stuff exists? How is <laughs> yeah. That- <laughs> we're, we're getting stuff from the drugstore and these people are getting like super tests. Oh, we all knew they that they were like yeah.
1: crazy. We all assumed that, I don't know, yeah, that rich people have a vaccine. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like, I feel like there were stories going around. It was kind of taken for granted, I think. so. Yeah. And yeah. obviously thematically, that ends up playing well into the whole thing, you know.
0: Um, as we discussed during our last conversation about Knives Out Part 1, um, my wife is a massive Agatha Christie fan. She listens to Agatha Christie podcasts. She falls asleep listening to Agatha Christie audiobooks. Nice. Nice. Um, and one of the reasons that she loves uh, your movies is because typically in a detective story, like there's many awesome things about detective stories. But one of the kind of negative things about it is the protagonist generally doesn't change that much. Like the detective mm-hmm. is the protagonist. They generally don't change that much. However, in both Knives Out movies now, um, you found a way around that by making the detective enable another protagonist to solve the crime. And like that person is the one that has the journey. Was that consciously kind of the structure you wanted to make for these movies, like these two movies, I think moving forward, like that's what you envisioned they'll be. Um, or did it kind of come about, about organically as you're finding the story?
1: No, that was really, and that's really perceptive her. that's really deliberate. And that was from the first movie and also with this one. And I think going forward, that's one thing that, um, you know, that's one thing I think will stay constant is that the the detective can't be the protagonist. There needs Mm. to be somebody who has skin in the game and somebody who, um, who, you know, it's going to be satisfying at the end, basically, uh, you know, when they win. And uh, so, Mm. yeah. And, and that all goes back for me to as much, as much as I love uh, murder mysteries, as much as I love whodunits, I think um, specifically in movie form, uh, wanting to approach these more as Hitchcock thrillers and kind of recognize that they, even for myself as a whodunit nut, the process of clue gathering and crime solving that can entertain me in a movie for maybe about 20 minutes. And mm. then I'm going to kind of sit back and disengage and think, okay, I'm never going to figure this out. I don't know who done it. I'm going to just wait until <laughs> the thing I never could have guessed is revealed at the end. Mm. And so never leaning on that as the source of entertainment for the audience is like a huge part of how I approach these things. And that means having a protagonist. And that can't be the detective because you know the detective is going to be fine at the end of the movie. You know, you need someone who you actually care about and are worried about. Um, And that way with Glass Onion, because of the structure of it, the scary thing was actually... When I started writing it, I thought the scary thing was going to be how do I keep the audience engaged in the second half when we're repeating everything... What ended up being really scary, actually, is because my answer to that was to introduce that protagonist at the midpoint. Even though you've seen her the whole time, we really introduce the character of Helen and give you somebody you care about halfway through the movie. And I counted on that empathy and that emotional engagement to be the thing that keeps you going through the second half. But that then means the entire first half, you don't have anyone you care about. Blanc is kind of like a fake protagonist in the mm. first half. yeah. Um, mm. And so that b- ended up being kind of the scary thing. I rely very much on the audience's grace and that kind of grace period of, okay, we're seeing where this goes and seeing them kind of stick through that first half of the movie.
2: I, I think that, you know, you're so smart about the, um, the bathtub scene, I think does a lot of the heavy lifting because we're invested in Blanc's Disposition in that moment, like he's he's like, he needs to heal. (laughs) He needs he needs to do something. There's he is our little protagonist in that
1: first section because it's like, oh, is Blanc going to get what he needs out of this? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was really important, and the him saying, "I need a great case," and the promise of that also, the promise that okay, with the for the audience saying. You know, this is going to take a little bit. We're going to do lay a lot of groundwork here, but you know, something is something is coming, and and uh, it's going to be good enough for Benoit Blanc to get out of the bathtub. I guess. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that was
0: one of my favorite moments from the movie is when uh, I think he gets a, a ring at the door, and someone's like, "Someone's here with a with a wooden box." Yeah, and you think, "Oh, you've just shown several other people getting that box," but it's like clearly he got it in a very different context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so really, really nicely done on that reveal. Uh, you said it, the the second half was initially like scary for you, just because you were going to be redepicting a lot of the first half's events, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you said you found like uh, how, how to kind of build that out through the character, right? Like through uh, Janelle's character. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like what other things you you were thinking of to employ to to make the second half? uh more interesting not not that i felt like not that i yeah. felt like it needed it but i'm just curious like yeah. um what was that process of like making sure that, uh, you're showing the second half in a new way basically
1: well it was it was i mean i guess in in thinking about it one of the things that like like i knew that it it's kind of interesting but not engaging enough to just show the same stuff from a different perspective like the intellectual twist wasn't going to be enough and so to me the big big thing was introducing the Helen character and getting you on her side. And I think Janelle, this is all Janelle Monet, the fact that at that reset point, halfway through the movie, when you're basically meeting an entire new character, the way that Janelle plays it, she has our sympathies like immediately. And then, and then you're locked in. We actually in, we shot a whole runner in that second half where um, she was getting Zoom. Initially she had kids at home and mm-hmm. she was getting Zoom calls from her kid freaking out because the kid's poop lit, had turned blue because they had the too many blueberry Pop-Tarts. It was like just a runner that she would be like Whoa. sneaking behind statues and hedge, hedges and kind of saying, you know, getting this, getting these calls. And, um, and we shot it. And it actually took a lot of work to excise it from the edit uh, once we were in Whoa. there. But we pulled it out because um, once we realized the, the whole reason it was in there was to build in more empathy for the character. And we realized we didn't need that. The audience was on her side it became a pacing thing of just let's speed it up and stick with the mission. Um, Mm. I guess that's the other kind of answer to your question is, is, is giving her a clear defined mission Mm. in that second half and having it be very kind of like goal oriented, um, never having the audience feel like they're kind of drifting and, okay, we're kind of searching for something, but always being really clear of we got to go for this. Okay, now we have to go for this. And then it becomes almost like a buddy movie with her and her and Blanc, I guess. Well, well it's I, I think the I, whole time- I, I,
0: speak, I speak for millions of fans when I say, hashtag release the blue poop cut uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's all together you've dude. created a movement today i just want us all to like recognize a movement that. huh yeah hey. when, do, when do we start we just did okay anyway, sorry. go ahead go ahead Jeff. i was just gonna
2: say uh uh it, it's all it's interesting too because the entire time we're meeting that character we think she might
1: be dead yeah no that's that's the other thing is like i'm always curious to ask people on their first viewing whether she they think that Helen is actually going to get killed at the end or whether they figure I'll find some way out of it. Um, but that mm. that tension immediately of it's this character, Andy, who I'm guessing we kind of like, but it's not like we're fully invested in that character. She's kind of like a mysterious outsider. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and we've just seen her get killed in one context. And the notion that suddenly when we realize that was a character, we do actually care about that's hanging in the back of our heads even if you imagine I'm going to figure out a way out of it, the notion of how is he going to figure out a way out of it, like drawing you forward through it is mm-hmm. is, is another big element of it. I no. have to
3: say, uh, the, this movie definitely made me angry about halfway through when I was like, Are you killing Janelle Monet twice? <laughs>
0: How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, 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 I love uh, it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in, uh, I mean, one of the things that oh, I Oh, you're was... fumbling, David. You're fumbling. Oh, no you. <laughs> no, this is no good. This is dead air. <laughs> First of all, I, I was just gonna point out that mo- I had a plan here. Then I was like, you know, I'm gonna di- digress a little bit. Bad, I mean, bad idea. Are, Stick yes, to the plan. Bad thank idea. You, thank you. One <laughs> yeah. of the one of the moments in the movie that kind of gives your like tips your hand a little bit is when um, uh, Andy shows up and like Edward Norton is like surprised to see her. Right? He's yeah. like, wait a second, what are you doing? You know, like, but he yeah. doesn't say any of that. And. Uh, that's obviously like a very common trope in murder mysteries of like, oh, somebody expects someone to be dead but they're alive. Mm. Um, you know, how how do you play with the moment like that? Because uh, uh, what are you thinking when you're directing that moment? Because you obviously wanted to reveal something about Edward Norton,
1: but you don't want to be too obvious. Like, yeah, what, what's kind of going through your head at that? Point? That was a delicate moment. I talked a lot actually with Edward about what was actually happening in Miles' head when he saw her. I think my hope is the first time through when you see it. The surprise is that, oh, she actually showed up. This notion right. that he mm. sent her an invitation every year, but the notion of with all the backstory behind them, she's actually shown up. Why? Yep. And that's why the scene with Lionel on the boat right before that, she goes, the question is, why did she show up? Hopefully that's yep. setting up a little bit. And so once you realize what the actual deal is and the fact that he thinks he killed her, what I have in my head is the notion that if you think about the method, which I show in that little flashback thing of killing, her. He drugs her. It's not poison. He like drugs her and then puts her in a car with the engine running to, to poison her with make it look like a suicide. So what I imagined is he sees her and he thinks, oh shit, she survived. She like woke up and turned <laughs> off the car or something. <laughs> oh crap, it didn't work. I have to kill her again. Right. Because if you look at the end yeah. when Blanc right. is laying it all out, he yeah. is still completely shocked that it's her sister. He It's not like he thinks, goes mm-hmm. to like, he knows that, you know, goes yeah. to the notion that it's somebody else faking her, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. Bond villain going you got out of that laser thing that exactly. I <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: So in a video you made for uh, vanity fair talking about the first scene where they all meet each other you said you said something i really appreciated you said making a movie like this is kind of like making a dinner party like yeah. um you're looking for people who fit the role but you're also looking for people who will
1: work well together should we just watch um, the vanity fair thing just, <laughs> let's just <laughs> really do all the work you know? I'm glad the heavy lifting is done you. for you, <laughs> thank you thank you thank you ryan so um, you're doing great so, uh, you're doing great
0: uh, <laughs> So Two questions. One question is like, obviously, uh, in this movie, a lot of the characters represent archetypes, the video game streamer, the politician, the model, the scientist. Um, Can you talk about like how you arrived at these specific archetypes for this movie? Uh, And then I'm also wondering, like when you're putting together the dinner party, like how are you evaluating that when you're like interviewing or having a meeting with someone? Are you like, would they get along with Dave Batista? Like, how are you kind of (laughs) assembling the dinner party?
1: Everybody gets along with Dave Bautista. I hate to I meet believe the it. person. Love it. Yeah, uh, I think even you would get along with him, David. I think wow. I think you guys would get along. Even you, even you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I. It's. It's. Um. Well, I, I. Coming up with all the different types. I mean, when when I. I guess the starting point was Miles. The starting point was committing to. Okay, it's going to be a tech billionaire. And that was, that came out of a bunch of stuff that came, first of all, out of it, just seeing seeming fertile because of all the stuff in the news. And just, we had this notion of this archetype seemed like a, uh, interesting one. Also though, um, I want it to be on a beach and one thing, and, uh, I'm sure you're, you know, I'm sure your wife knows this with murder mysteries. What you're trying to do is isolate, figure out some way of isolating. The scope of the suspects, mm-hmm. and especially with a movie where you have to be incredibly efficient with it, the more uh, restricted and isolated you can get in terms of this is the game, the the game board that we're playing on, the better. Um, and so, uh, the notion of them being on like a private island, kind of like a and then there were none type setup um, seemed to me the way to go. And, um, that means whoever is the inviting them all out there needs to own an Island. And then that very naturally led to, Oh, okay. So it's a tech billionaire. And then the type of people that a tech billionaire would have as his, uh, group of friends that hangers on, yeah, hangers on that then lends itself to people in position, you know, a certain, certain kind of like types, I guess. And so, um, And that also influenced the tone. That's also why this one is a little more kind of Dr. Strangelove in its tone. It's a little more heightened. It's a little more comedic. Um, That's not like a trajectory of where these movies are going tonally. That's just what this one required. And the notion that each one will be slightly tonally different based on what the movie actually is. Um, You know, I like that.
2: I I love how funny it is. And one one of my favorite gags is the character of Daryl. (laughs) <laughs> no, he's great. It's great. It's just, it's always funny. And I wonder if you intentionally wanted, him, I, I kept thinking throughout the movie, like, oh, Daryl's going to have something to do with it. Did yeah. you want him there to be a potential suspect or just a
1: red herring or just a gag? What was, what was the notion? I, there? I thought it was just going to be a comic runner, but then I kind of realized it's actually really nice to have like this. This one element of the thing that seems like a Chekhov's gun type thing, yeah, but yeah. That, but, but that isn't. Because <laughs> <And that, laughs> right. there's so much in the movie that is deliberately laid to pay off the notion that Daryl's just a guy. And <laughs> also, so it was funny. just an excuse to have Noah Segan on set. He's one of my um, best, yeah. one of my best friends since Brick, and and I've had him in every movie I've done, and I just will always want to have him around. So. It's, it, it's so it's, funny
2: to have have. A detective like trying to figure out all the suspects, and there's literally a guy that is like, "I'm not here. not here. I'm
1: not here. He's it's not part of the experience." <laughs> also, we're not lying to you, though. He's not part of the experience right. at all. You know, I it's wouldn't okay. lie to you. Yeah. He almost yeah.
3: gave me more empathy for Miles too, because I was like, "Oh, yeah. this guy, he's keeping yeah. one of his friends yeah. Yeah, right <laughs> You yeah. know, it's also yeah, it, it is a
1: thing I think with like the super rich, So there's somebody in the pool, there's someone living in the pool house, you know? And it takes- He's he's Kato Kaelin. Yeah, yeah, the Kato Kaelin, it's not quite the, it's not always the most, uh, you know, intuitive, Choice of who would be his guy. huh? You know, but there's, there's something about that that felt felt very real.
0: I, I kept looking for the Trooper uh, Wagner tie in to th- his character. Knives Out One. I was like, is this is this Daryl the same guy from Knives Out One? We
1: discussed but, it that maybe he like went through a divorce and he's yeah. kind of going through some shit. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah.
0: He, he yeah. met Miles Braun in an older case and then decided yeah. to take refuge on the island. Yeah,
1: I like your proper
0: pronunciation
1: of Wagner. Also, that was very nice. <laughs> I like did, yeah. re- did all I my did did. research. You did all you you my research. A- Vanity <laughs> Fair has <husband. laughs> amazing video on that (laughs) (laughs) um
0: speaking of uh the the billionaire miles braun um we spend a lot of time at miles braun's estate and it's loaded with uh artwork and elaborate contraptions um and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like how you designed his house on the island and kind of what feelings you're trying to evoke when we like look at this place
1: yeah. I mean, it's, so first of all, there is just kind of the wish fulfillment thing of, um, uh, again, I wrote this in 2020. And so the notion of just a beautiful place, but then once you go into the place, it, so Rick Heinrich was our production designer and he, we worked together on the last Jedi and Rick has done a lot of work with Tim Burton over the years. He's in- incredibly good at doing big expressionistic design that also communicates character in a really smart way. Um, And so this big, I mean the atrium, what we call the atrium, which is that big space a chunk of the movie takes place in. It's really three sets. It's like the dining room set with the Kanye mural. It's the uh, Mona Lisa set in the middle with all the glass things. Um, And then there's that weird, like vibrant red, like orgy pit, like hangout (laughs) in that seventies place at the, on the left where the (laughs) murder takes place. Um, And it was, we spent so much time on this set, and it all works visually, like through the camera. When you walked onto that set, it was visually like it made you nauseous. It's just all these styles thrown together. It's right. like, interior designer is just like vomited in a pile (laughs) but then it all kind of makes sense and miles is garish like i want this but i also want this and we should get the green it feels like the sort of thing where they he would wake up every morning and throw like six ideas out that made no sense but they had to do all of them that was that was kind of the marching orders Mm, i was (laughs) gonna say
0: yeah go
1: ahead jeff
2: i was gonna say it's, it's so great that uh uh, another thing that reveals itself on a second viewing is that he's dumb throughout, right? That, that scene at the <laughs> yes. beginning where he's like, "I no. just get these faxes of dumb ideas all the time." And you don't even you don't even clock that at the beginning of the movie as being like indicative of how stupid this dude is, but on second viewing, you're like, "Oh yeah, no, he's any idea that comes from him is not good." Uh,
1: child equals NFT, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, funny. that was that was amaz- amazing.
0: Um, I mean, I do I do have to ask you. Obviously, you know, a lot of people have talked to you about um the special resonance this movie has given the stuff that's happening with the billionaire class right now like what was your emotions uh when you saw let's say stuff unfolding around Twitter's acquisition like were you like Oh my gosh! Like he's this is gonna steal the thumbnail of the movie, or were you like, <laughs> yes, like it's topical, baby? Like what was, was kind of going through your head when when all this stuff started unfolding? This I past had
1: fall? no idea. I mean, also I was just riveted along with everyone else. Just as <laughs> holy crap, this is happening in the world right now. What's gonna mm-hmm. happen? Um, yeah, no, I had no idea. You know, that, that's kind of you know the scary, interesting thing about about the approach of just kind of th- not trying to be timeless, but really trying to you know right to the moment in a way yep. is, is you, d- you don't know how it's going to go. And so um, <laughs> if it was very, very surreal, it was really, really weird. It felt like, it felt like maybe, you know, we were just getting trolled at some point. <laughs> it so yeah. I think we all felt that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. It was amazing
0: because um, you wrote it in 2020. Like you, yeah, it, uh, yeah. you know, obviously 2022 was like a big reckoning for many billionaires, but like yeah. you, you saw it coming basically. So I right? don't know about that. Yeah. I mean,
1: the other, <laughs> the other thing is, I mean, you know, with this movie and with also with the first movie, I feel like, um, I mean, and I will say, kind of in a way, all this stuff that's happened with billionaires very recently, um, I'm I'm looking forward to the movie kind of living beyond <laughs> that and that kind. Of, I feel like that has kind of like taken a lot of a lot of focus in terms of what the movie is about. And for me, it's not really, um, I don't know, but neither of these movies are are kind of actually. I don't find the the idea of just rich people are jerks to be that interesting i think to me what's interesting is the power structure in the first movie in a family and the notion of um what happens when not necessarily the idea of just you know money being bad but the notion of what happens when money slips into a family dynamic and the the power structure within that family and this one with with a group of friends um the idea of what it takes you know, when there's an unhealthy power structure, what people with even good intentions will do to maintain that power structure if they're supported by it and what it takes to break that power structure. And um, that to me is is actually interesting. The notion of just roasting rich people is, is kind of dull. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs>
0: um, we were talking moments ago about Miles Braun's whole setup, the Mona Lisa and everything like that. I have a couple questions about the Mona Lisa for you. Uh, we really enjoyed the the movie, we talked about it on, we gave it a, a really positive review on the podcast. I hear a butt but coming.
1: I hear a butt coming <laughs> up. Well, one wow. of the,
0: one of the only qualms that yeah. one of us had uh, was around the film I, was, with yeah, Jeff. yeah go ahead, Jeff, I, take it, it away.
2: It, it, I, 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 I love the movie, love the movie, but I, it hurt my heart that you decided to destroy the Mona Lisa or that our hero, <laughs> right? right? Yes. And I, I saw an interview that you said that you actually had a scene that was going to yeah. be, uh, you know, like well, it wasn't actually the real Mona Lisa, yeah. uh, but you you decided not to go with that. And I wonder why you think, that, because I feel like, you know, that is a, a piece of culture that belongs to all of us, right? Yeah, yeah. And why you thought that's a heroic act to destroy it?
1: Well, I don't think it's it was a heroic act to destroy Destroy it i think though that i there are a few things first of all i don't think it would actually in real life be a heroic act to destroy the mona lisa <laughs> let me make that very very clear right. i the think the
0: headline is ryan johnson and exact, exactly the mona lisa. exactly exactly yeah. it's the middle finger to the mona lisa yeah. yeah but i think
1: in the context of a movie with this tone i think um I guess this is, I can explain where I, where I ended up paying my chips on because Daniel was very nervous about this. He was, <laughs> that's why we shot that scene. He was like, are we killing the puppy here? Are people gonna, you know, forgive us for this? Right. Um, I think about, there was a great quote by John Cleese when he was talking about that scene in A Fish Called Wanda that he wrote where, um, I said, Michael Palin's trying to like kill the woman and he ends up killing the dog. You know? Right. And it's like, how do you do that and keep an audience's sympathy? And he, and Cleese said, well, a lot of it has to do with the casting of the dog, and I feel like with the Mona Lisa, that's that's kind of similar. So, yes, it's the most famous uh, piece of art probably on the planet. It's also so famous that I think, as opposed, it, it, it's something that. I counted on the audience being in on the joke because it's mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. famous. It's famous for being famous <laughs> in mm-hmm. a way. There was a very interesting poll that somebody told me about where they pulled a bunch of people and said, let's say, and this is a disconnected from the movie. This is something that happened back when. Uh, let's say the Mona Lisa burns to ashes uh tomorrow. And would you stand in line if you were gonna stand in line for five hours, would you stand in line? would you prefer to see an absolutely perfect reproduction of the Mona Lisa or a case with the pile of ashes with what used to be the Mona Lisa? Mm. And overwhelmingly people wanted to see the pile of ashes. The, The notion that it's, there's something about it as a symbol, almost, you know, that it's kind of mm-hmm, a relic as mm-hmm. opposed to that, that, that to me is, it, it made me think we could get away with it. Yeah. Um Art, art equals, NFTs. Art equals <laughs> NFTs. Well, and also the, the fact that ultimately it's, you know, uh, the fact that w- the, the reveal after that of what she did it for yeah. and how that was actually, and uh, also, I don't know, the fact that, uh, and he, he miles himself says it you know with his disruptor speech that it's it's easy to you start breaking these little glass things everyone's cheering you on yay go andy you start or go helen you start breaking bigger stuff people get a little apprehensive the question is are you willing to break the thing that nobody wants you to break mm-hmm. and that means it has to be something that people don't want you to break. You can't just break a more expensive chandelier or something. You, you need something that is going to create Jeff exactly that effect in you mm. of, I don't know how I feel about this. And, um, that was, that was the aim of it. So if my attitude was, if we're going for that, if we're actually trying to, the whole thing of the end is putting his words into action and using them against him and him being actually horrified because he's full of shit. He doesn't want actual disruption. He doesn't want the system Mm -hmm. to actually be broken. That meant we actually had to go there. You know, that's amazing.
2: I have, I have two things that I want to say about that. The first is the the other thing that's amazing that you do in, in, you know, you kind of talk about it as it's famous for being famous, the Mona Lisa, but Mm -hmm. also in the context of the movie, you kind of demonstrate what's special about it in mm-hmm. lingering on it and have that wonderful speech about how like, is she yeah. smiling? Is she frowning? And that's, that that's what's so magical about that piece. And then mm. doing the match on action or the, you know, the graphic match to, um, to, uh, Janelle Monae yeah. in that same kind of place in her face. And you can see like joy and sadness and all these things at the same time. It's you yeah. kind of articulate what's so special about that piece of art at the same time, which is cool.
1: Right. Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, uh, and then I'll- the second thing I want to say is, is, um, um, uh, um oh shoot i lost it go on I'll, i'm sure
1: i'll yeah, come back well, to
0: on, on that note um you've mentioned like a couple of other things already at this point of like stuff that was cut from the movie the blue poop with of the, <laughs> the pop tarts and now um like this idea that like it wasn't really the mona lisa and it seems like you shot these things and then like yeah. decided not to include them like in the case of the mona lisa thing like what was the process that you through which you decided not to include it where you just, you just test screenings. You just watch it a bunch of times. Like how did you, Yeah, it was
1: very easy. It was a, and we were just doing like little friends and family screenings, little groups of five or six people. The reality is though, it was just when I watched it for the first time with that scene stuck at the end, it was absolutely immediate. Like, Nope, this is pulling a punch. This is bullshit. (laughs) This is dumb. Take it out. Yeah. And so it, it was just a, and, and that's kind of, you know, I know getting feedback from friends can be useful, which I find even more useful is literally just sitting down watching the movie with other people in the room because it makes you see it kind of through the eyes, you know, through different eyes. And I just immediately felt like, you know, now if we're, if we're doing this, you know, we got to do it. I Uh, I recalled what I was going to say. The the,
2: um, I I wonder if it's uh, a through line in your work. It it makes me recall uh, the uh, great line from the last Jedi about, you know, killing the past Mm -hmm. Um, is that something that you, you know, you think is, is important to you and something that you do see as a through line in, in some of the things that you've made?
1: No. And the, the, like, it, I think it's very, very different, like the context of that line. Um, I think you have to take that in the context of the entire movie, you know, and that's, Kylo Ren
0: says that line. (laughs) And he's
1: right. And he's wrong. Ultimately, that's the thing he's wrong. And the entire thesis of the movie what the whole thing builds to is showing that he's wrong and showing that if you think you're killing the past, you're lying to yourself. And the answer is not to burn it all down. The answer is to build on it. And the answer is to take what's useful on it and not dogmatically hold on to what isn't, um, to take what helps the next generation to move forward. Um, and so, for me it, it's yeah it's a it, same same uh, same chemical process of burning totally different content <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> uh,
0: i I had a question about like that f- final shot with Janelle Monet's character um and how you, you, you tries to mirror the Mona Lisa I mean, how do you go about directing a scene like that because that's you've explained in the movie itself how difficult the Mona Lisa is to construct as a yeah. as a composition yeah. Um, and, but you want it to be like, I want this to evoke one of the greatest works of art ever made. Like, how do you, how do you go about? Go. It? And, and go
3: and go yeah. action. Brian wants to be <laughs> yeah. talked about in the same vein as the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the goal. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, you know. uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you cast Janelle Monet, Lisa in that part. Mm-hmm. I think is the answer. <laughs> and then on set, I. Google Mona Lisa and show her, okay, hold your hands kind of like this. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> wow.
1: And okay. I said, you know, Love the it. whole thing about kind of a smile, but kind of not, she goes, Oh yeah, I gotcha. And then we mm. roll the camera. <laughs> All right. <That's> awesome. Amazing. <laughs> I actually, it's funny though. I did talk with Steve Yedlin, my cinematographer about, I I talked about lens choice for that shot. And I was like, what do you think? Like, is this, is the, is the painting mimicking kind of a longer lens, a wider lens? What would, and yeah he had an interesting thing, which I look at. It, it makes sense. He is. It's, he says it's kind of like in paintings of the period hit her hands, are almost like the perspective of a wider lens, but her face is like a longer lens. It's a little more compressed. Like the compressed with the background, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an impossible sort of like it's it's not anything that like a photograph could duplicate. So yeah. It was it was it was interesting.
0: What do you remember what lens you ended up using for that shot? I can't.
1: I I think we went it's a fairly standard, it's not incredibly wide because I wanna get wanted to get in on a beauty shot of her at the end. So I'm Guessing it was maybe like a forty or a fifty, gotcha. um, which we we weren't shooting anamorphic. This is flat, so this is you know just thirty-five millimeter lenses. Gotcha. We've
2: debated here on the show a lot. Uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Oh yes. Oh God. Please. Please. <laughs> Please. One. We, yes. You know, obviously we we were. I, well, I I personally was in favor of a Benoit Blanc mystery, but, yeah, I'm with but you. Yeah. are we going to yeah. be whatever the next one is a Knives Out mystery, or are they going <laughs> to daisy
1: chain now and oh be whatever the next one is a Glass Onion, <laughs> a
2: mystery. Glass Onion,
1: mis- uh, a Glass Onion mystery of a Knives Out mystery? There so, you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I honestly, it's like I, the thing is though. I I totally get it. It's not like I was like this was done against my will or something. I completely understand it because after, and it, it, after the first movie, you know, I I think people knew that they liked knives out. They didn't necessarily know it well enough to know who Benoit Blanc was. I think that would have gone Mm -hmm. blank stares. And I wanted this movie. I wanted everyone who loved knives out to know that this is the next one of those. So um, I I absolutely hundred percent was on board and totally got it that, that we had to do that. But I also, it kills me a little bit and I want to see how quickly we can lose that subtitle because the notion that you know, it, w- it would be like if it were, you know, Murray, you know, murder on the Orient Express, a mysterious affair at Styles mystery. You know, that's, a, that's how much sense it makes to me. Or, you know, Dr. Do- you know, no 38. You know, it it, 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 it it as soon as we can get past those and get to a Benoit block mystery. And I will say with this one, with the reach of Netflix and with just how many more people I feel like have seen it and how much more it feels like it's actually in the culture we're at least getting closer to where I feel like a would get away with a Benoit Blanc mystery and people mm-hmm. would know what we were talking about, but I, th- I think know, what we we'll really,
3: Ryan, you really want to be a Ryan Johnson mystery. Like, <laughs> <whatever>.
1: <laughs> That's where you want to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, so mm-hmm. many mysteries. Ryan so, so
0: you're, you're hoping for a Benoit Blanc mystery next. It sounds like, mm-hmm. I, would, I would love it. Like I would yeah. love it to just be the
1: title of the movie, but I don't Yeah. Know. Yeah. We'll see. I, I, I had an we'll argument
0: worry, where I had a discussion with my wife about like, uh, cause they, 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 don't call them Hercule Poirot mysteries. Mm-hmm. Like, um, the books it, it, they do though yeah well the, the uh, it's not part of the
1: oh oh yeah you got it's, not a, the, the, it's, it's not part it's of the title correct. But,
0: right it's not part of the title but, yeah. but it's part of the marketing like the, yeah, it's the, part the, the marketing. put it on the book mm-hmm. yeah totally um yeah. but but yeah um whereas knives Up mystery is part of the
1: official title you see how excited i was to prove you wrong <laughs> I That's so, so good it I thought, really so good. it sounds like you you i mean all three of us uh saw
2: glass onions the first time in a movie theater yes um it sounds like you're you're obviously happy. Anybody watches it, however they watch it. But the fact that you have uh, you know more people potentially seeing your movie is that worth giving up the theatrical experience? Are you are you sad that they didn't see it in a movie theater the first time?
1: Yeah, no, nothing's worth giving up the theatrical experience. And I want, I mean, I look. I'll say this though, like. Netflix because even though it was just a week um that's kind of deceptive it was actually a much bigger deal than that It was the first time they worked with the three big movie chains it was the first time they actually spent money and put muscle behind marketing a theatrical push they had never really done that before so um so Netflix really stepped out and this was kind of like a big big deal for them I was really I really appreciated that they did that um I want I want I want more, I want, you know, I want more, whether I want more time, I want more theaters, I want these to be available. And I want, and I'm really happy that it did very well when it came on the service, because what I really wanted to show was, you can have a successful theatrical run and that will just complement it when it comes on the service as opposed to undercutting it and cannibalizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with a movie like this where people are excited to show it to their families or to rewatch it or whatever, you know, with the right movie that connects with audiences that can really theatrical and streaming can really complement each other. I, I really believe that. So, and I want, you know, people who want to see this movie in theaters, I want them to be able to see it in theaters. So um, I'm hoping moving forward, we can, we can keep, keep pushing it, man.
3: Let me tell you, my theatrical screening was on like a Friday night. They, yeah. It was electrified. Like people uh, were just so on the movie. I was like, man, I miss this. I miss yeah. this so much. So <laughs> glad we were able to have that experience. I got a quick question for you, though. Yeah. Um, this is not the first time Daniel Craig has played a Southern gentleman. I'm wondering <laughs> if there will ever be room. For a Joe Bang crossover, because
1: that what Logan be- Lucky crossover. Yeah, hey, Talk to talk to Soderbergh, man. Let's we'll see. Let's get <laughs> the right. universes together. He's on Do Twitter. Like a split he's screen thing. Him. Yeah, <laughs> split screen. Yeah. Like, you had know, Back to the all Future right. Two thing. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all right. Well, I know we are basically out of time now. So and and uh, don't exit out after I stop the interview because I need you to upload this video. Um, <laughs> but um, you said so you said exit out
1: right after. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, I couldn't hear us playing the banjo. You said so
0: I should just well any, anyway um ryan johnson is the writer and director of films such as uh the last jedi and knives out He his new detective show coming out on peacock called poker face his newest film glass onion and knives out mystery is streaming right now on netflix ryan johnson
1: thank you so much for joining us man really appreciate it guys this is so much fun thank you for having me it's great yeah thanks and now just quit right just quit out <laughs>